You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning, and before I read, I'll um, tell you that Jonathan Drundle will be, will be preaching with us again this morning. Um, he'll be preaching while Jeremy is still on vacation. And if you are relatively new here and don't know Jonathan, he has been a seminary intern for us, and this summer is a family ministry intern. He'll be continuing in our series on Romans and preaching from the passage, Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, that abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please pray with me. Thank you, Father, this morning for Jonathan's study and willingness and gifts for preaching. Thank you for the truth of grace that abounds in your word. Thank you for Jesus, through whom we receive that escape from death that we need. Open our ears to the truth now. In Jesus' name, amen. If I know one thing, it's that I don't know anything. You have to spend money to make money. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? These statements are all examples of paradoxes. According to the Oxford Dictionary, a paradox is a statement or proposition that when reasoned out, has no logical conclusion. The, the point of a paradox is there is no solution. It's meant to mess with your head. And that's why I find paradoxes rather frustrating. 
You see, I like logic. I like solutions. I want to find an answer. Yet, at the same time, I can't help but take the bait of the paradox. I want to try to reason it out and find an answer. If you ever see me staring off into space, I'm probably trying to find an answer to a question that has no answer. One paradox I find particularly frustrating is the paradox of the unstoppable force and the immovable object. In this paradox, there's this unstoppable force that is careening towards an immovable object. And the question is, what happens when these two objects collide? Does the unstoppable force blast through the immovable object? Or does the immovable object bring the unstoppable force to a sudden halt? Now, like all paradoxes, there's not really an answer. But it does bring up an interesting question that we see running throughout Scripture. And that goes like this. You and I were created beings, and we're created to have life. But very quickly we see death enter into the picture. Now, when Jesus comes along, he tells us that he can offer us eternal life, even though we're sinners deserving of death. Now, certainly death and eternal life are mutually exclusive ideas. They can't exist at the same place at the same time. So how do we solve this seeming paradox? How do we solve this issue of this immovable object of death and this unstoppable force of Jesus Christ? To answer this question this morning, we are going back to the book of Romans. So far, as we've been walking through Romans, we've been hammering into this doctrine of justification by faith. If you haven't been with us, basically that doctrine says that if you believe in Jesus, you will be declared guilt-free before God. And as we've walked through this doctrine last week, we saw that once you are justified, we can be confident that we will remain justified. Now, this morning as we move forward... We still have to deal with the sticky issue of death that just keeps, uh, seems to keep clinging to us. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he secured our justification. But is Christianity just about guilty people being let go for their crimes? And how do we deal with the fact that you and I are still sinners? If the wages of sin are death, how do we get past death? To answer this question this morning, we're going back to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Please, if you will, open up your Bibles with me and follow along as we go through this text. As we go through verses 12 to 14, we will examine our first point this morning. Death, the immovable object. Verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Now, to gain a little context of what Paul is talking about this morning, we need to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now, we see in Genesis 1 that God creates the heavens and the earth. But after creating 
everything in all of creation, God came down in Genesis 2 to create humanity. God came down and scooped up some dust from the earth and formed it into a man. And then he breathed into it the breath of life and then gave him dominion over the face of the earth. And along with that, he created this man to reflect his image. And then he named this man Adam, after the Hebrew word Adamah, meaning dust or earth, from which he came from. Now, at this point in creation, everything is good. We see all of the universe functioning in perfect order. Adam is taking care of the earth, and God even creates a wife for Adam out of one of his spare ribs. But that's when things go horribly wrong. You see, along with giving Adam dominion, God also gave him a commandment. And in this commandment, he told Adam that he could eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the Garden of Eden, except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you'd think with all these trees to eat from, Adam would be good to go. But Adam was like a little kid who just can't seem to keep his, his finger out of the electrical socket. You know, as soon as their parents turn their back, they're, they're right back in there. As soon as God turns his back, Adam slipped into dis disobedience. He broke God's command, and with this transgression, he brought all of the universe into dysfunction and pain and chaos. And when this dysfunction came sin and death, now God's perfect world, which was created for life, was now punished by the actions of Adam. Adam, who was created for life, now his only reality is death. But here's the kicker. Sin and death wasn't just for Adam, but it also spread to the rest of humanity. Now, from generation to generation, we were all born into sinfulness. And with sinfulness came death, because each and every one of us are transgressors, breakers of God's divine law. Now, you may be thinking, oh, okay, I get it. Adam broke God's law. He disobeyed God, and so he dies. But what about me? I, I never was given a law by God, so how could I have broken a law that I was never given? And if you're thinking along these lines, you're agreeing with a group of people in the Roman church. Now, you remember that there's both Jews and Gentiles in Rome. And for the Jews, they were certainly given a law from God. God handed them a law down from heaven, and they broke this law repeatedly. But the Gentiles are thinking, well, I get it. Jews are bad, but we don't have a law. We never even knew about this God until these Christians showed up. So how can we be lawbreakers? So anticipating this response, Paul goes on in verse 13 and 14 to say this. For indeed sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of one to come. Now here in verse 13, Paul says, sin is not counted where there is no law. And what Paul is saying is, if you don't have a law, you have no way to keep track of when you're sinning. And you can't keep a record of wrong if you don't know what's wrong. 
But just because you can't keep a record doesn't mean that sin is not still sin. I mean, think about it like this. So say you go to a a remote village, a place where they've never seen cars before, and you decide to be generous and hand them over the keys to a new ride. So they take that ride into the nearest city, and they see all these people filling up their gas tanks with this black liquid. So they think, no problem. I'll just go grab some Pepsi from the convenience store, and we'll fill this sucker up. Obviously, we know that's a bad idea. But here's the thing. Whether you know you're not supposed to put Pepsi in your car or not, it's still going to have the same effect on the engine. That's how sin works. It doesn't matter if we know whether we're sinning or not. Sin is still sin. And the effect of sin is death. And Adam, as the first man in all of creation, became our representative. When he sinned, he changed his nature. And that nature was passed down from generation to generation. I mean, you don't see two fish having a a baby and it comes out as a zebra. Adam was a sinner and he passed on his sin nature to us. And maybe that doesn't sound fair. But the reality is, is that Adam was created as the perfect human being. He was flawless. If there was anyone who could have made God's command, Adam was our guy. The truth is, none of us could have done any better in his situation. Now, on top of that, each and every one of us have our own sinfulness to answer for. It's not like we were born into a broken world, but then lived a perfect life. All of us are sinners. All of us are deserving of the judgment and wrath of God. And that's what makes death this immovable object, this reality that each and every one of us are careening towards since the day of our birth. And we are powerless to get through death. I think most of the time we like to just ignore death. I'd rather not think about it or talk about it because it's a depressing reality. But over this last year, we've been faced with death in new and strange ways. It's been in our face everywhere we turn. We have to realize we're going to die. Unfortunately, we've been born into Adam. But fortunately, Paul tells us that Adam was only a type of one who was to come. He tells us that there was another one coming after Adam that would be similar to Adam, who would also be a representative of mankind. Here's what Paul goes on to say about him in verses 15 and 16. And that brings us to our second point, Jesus, the unstoppable force. Paul says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now, we saw in 14 that Paul starts to make a comparison. He's saying that Adam is a representation 
for the rest of mankind. But he's also saying that Jesus is coming to be a representative for all of mankind. And what this means is that when Adam came, he passed on his nature to us by his actions. In the same way, Jesus is coming to pass on his nature to us by his actions. Well, Adam was a representative of an old creation. Jesus is becoming a representative of a new creation. Now, Paul wants to make sure we see those similarities, but he wants to go on to tell us that that's where the similarity ends, saying that, yes, Jesus is like Adam, but he's also different from Adam. And that has to do with the action that each of these men commit. While Adam acted in sin, we see in our passage that Jesus acted in grace. And he wants to clear this up, that grace is not like sin. And so Paul is going to give us two answers of why grace is different from sin. Number one, he says grace is a free gift. Now, as you read through this section this morning, you'll notice two words that pop up over and over again. We've got the word free gift and the word grace. In actuality, these are the same word in the Greek language. They have the same root, but a different ending. And Paul is using these two words together to give us a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Number one, we see that it is a free gift. That means you pay nothing for it. On the other side, he says it's grace. And what he means by grace here is that it's an undeserved gift, which means it's a gift that we are not worthy of. It's like being given a reward when you deserve a punishment. Grace is both free and undeserved. And this is not like sin. You see, when Adam sinned, each and every one of us got what we deserved. Adam sinned and he died. We sinned and we died. But when Jesus acted on the cross in grace, no one gets what they deserve. And here's what I mean by that. When Jesus came to this earth, he lived a perfect life. And unlike the rest of us, Jesus was not born into sin. You see, we see in both Matthew and Luke that Jesus was not of the creation of Adam. You see, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Jesus entered into creation and therefore is not of the same broken sinfulness that Adam was. Jesus was born perfect, and then he continued to live perfect. Jesus lived up to the righteousness that we were designed to live up to ourselves, the righteousness that you and I can't achieve. But here's the thing. Jesus took the judgment that you and I deserve. Jesus died on the cross on our behalf, giving us his righteousness, giving us his life. Jesus got condemnation. We got justification. No one gets what they deserve. The second way we see that grace is not like sin is that grace is abundant. In in verse 15, Paul notes that grace abounds for many. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died as a sacrifice, similar to the ones that we see in the Old Testament system. 
You see, back before Jesus came, they had this figure called the high priest. And year after year, this high priest would offer sacrifices on, the, on behalf of all the people and on behalf of all their sinfulness. And it was necessary to offer this sacrifice year after year after year because the people kept on sinning. And these animal sacrifices were never enough to cover our sinfulness. But when Jesus came, he came as a new high priest. And rather than sacrificing animals, Jesus laid down his own life on our behalf. And with this sacrifice, it wasn't a sacrifice that needed to be offered over and over again. Jesus was a once and for all sacrifice. Because when Jesus spilled his perfect life, it was sufficient to not just cover our sins, but all the sins and all of history. Because the blood of Jesus is sufficient. The grace of God is boundless. It extends far beyond our sinful actions. Not just today, not just the day when we accept Jesus into our lives, but everything. And that's not the case with sin. You see, sin is a finite entity. Sin only has power while we are alive in the flesh. Sin can only exist while we are still living here on earth. But in death, sin has no more power. Unlike grace, sin literally has an expiration date. And that day is drawing near. And as we pair these two ideas together, that grace is both a free gift and is also abundant, we realize that grace is not only different than sin, but grace is greater than sin. And that's what makes Jesus the unstoppable force. The grace that we get in Jesus is boundless. The grace that we get in Jesus infinitely expands beyond our sinfulness. It reaches freely into our hearts beyond our capacity to deserve it. Jesus' grace is unstoppable. And at the cross, we feel the tension that we've been feeling throughout the whole Bible. On one side, we have sinfulness. And if God is a good and just God, sinfulness must be punished. If the law is broken, judgment must come. But on the other side, we have God's grace and God's love. How can a good and loving God condemn us in our brokenness? We feel this battle and this tug of war all throughout the scripture. This immovable reality of death and this unstoppable force of God's love. And at the cross, we see the collision course. There, Jesus comes careening with this immovable object of death. And for three days, it felt as though that death was going to overcome but the grave could not hold him. Death could not keep him. 
Jesus rose from the dead, despising death and trampling it out of the way like dust of the earth. Brings us to our final point this morning. Jesus Christ reigns over death. Paul goes on to say this in verse 17 through 19. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Here we see Paul start to round out his argument. If death can reign through Adam, certainly life will reign through Jesus. Church, we have to understand that the Christian message, the gospel message, is not just that Jesus died on the cross. The gospel message is that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus not only died for our justification, but he rose from the dead in giving us his righteousness. Both of these facets are crucial to our understanding of the gospel. On the cross, Jesus bore our judgment and satisfied the wrath of God once and for all. Because of his death, we can now be justified through faith. Through his resurrection, Jesus triumphed over death, destroying the power of sin, and secured for us a likeness after his own righteousness. We can not only be declared just by God, but we can be made righteous and holy like we were created to be. When we put our trust in Jesus, we are putting our trust in a new representative. Not a representative like Adam who passes on his brokenness and, and, and leaves us to continue in his brokenness. We have a new representative who reigns in righteousness, who gives us a righteousness that you and I could never, will never be able to deserve. Jesus gives us the free gift of grace. And for us, that means that righteousness, the righteousness that we have been given, is manifest apart from ourselves because you and I are sinners. You may be thinking, if you're new here to Mill Creek, that we really harp on this idea of sin and judgment an awful lot. But my goal here this morning is not to beat you up and break you down, but to make you realize the severity of what we're dealing with. We are going to die. And if we don't have Jesus, we will be condemned for our sins. When we come face to face with this reality, we at least have a chance to accept the gospel message. We have a chance to turn in faith towards Jesus. 
But we have to be confronted by our sinfulness. That's what Paul says here in verses 20 and 21. He says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the sin reigned in death. Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading through the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is telling us is that the Old Testament is not just some dusty old document that we're done away with. It's a crucial tool that makes us realize our sinfulness. As we're put face to face with the law, we realize that by human striving, we will never stand up to the righteousness of God. We will always fall short, infinitely short of God's glory. But the good news is where sin increased, grace abounds. And the truth is, church, when we're redeemed in Jesus Christ, we don't just go back to the way Adam was in the garden. We have experienced a new kind of love, a new kind of grace that Adam never got to experience. A love that goes far beyond our human understanding. A love that baffles the human mind. We deserve condemnation. But Jesus gave us love. Church, when we realize how much Jesus gave for us in the face of our sinfulness, we realize just how much he loves us. But that gives us a choice this morning. We can either die in Adam or we can live in Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, your application is simple. Choose life. I know our habits as, as human beings is to try to compare ourselves to the worst of the worst. But what we have to realize is that it's not about being more righteous than murderers and thieves. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, are we good enough, are we righteous enough to overcome death? None of us can beat death on our own accord. And I urge you this morning to consider this message to consider your life and consider what it would mean to turn from your old life and to turn to Jesus. There are so many teachers in this world who will try to get you to live up to a standard of righteousness. But none of them did for you what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus died for you. And turning to Jesus this morning is as simple as turning away from your old life and putting your faith in him. Please, if you're considering this message, I urge you, come talk to me. Talk to one of our staff members or our elders. We would love to tell you about Jesus. Now for you Christians here this morning, your application is also very simple. 
continue in life. I think we have a habit as Christians to realize our sinfulness when we're saved, when we originally put our faith in Jesus. But then to see our transformation and think, I'm becoming a pretty good person. But the message this morning tells us that the righteousness that we have received is not by our own actions. It's not by our own goodness. It's solely on the goodness of Jesus. Church, we have to realize that we have nothing good in ourselves. If we turn to our former way of living, where we try to earn our righteousness, where we try to boast in our own actions, we're despising what Jesus did in the cross. We have to be faithful to preach to ourselves the gospel. And remember that everything we have in Jesus Everything we have now on the other side of the cross is completely a part of us, but has now been manifest inside of us because of the grace of Jesus. And it's so simple, church. We have to turn to the Scripture. We have to remind ourselves daily the gospel. And we have to rejoice. Because this righteousness is not of us. It's not based on our actions. It's based on Jesus. And his grace is ever abundant. And my heart this morning is not to give you a bunch of works that you need to follow. It's to remind you of what you've already gained in Christ. Church, our call is to celebrate. And realize that it will never be based again on our actions. It will always be based on Jesus. Lord, we thank you this morning for the gospel message. We thank you that you did not come in judgment, but you came in grace. Lord, you gave your life for us, even though we deserve condemnation. You, dis- you died despising death, destroying sin and giving us new life. Lord, give us the strength to worship you and glorify you this morning. your holy name I pray. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.